Well, before we jump into that, I want to just real briefly address the uh, the reality that um, there's there's a lot happening in the in the world of uh, pro life um, movement and prayers, and and we at the journey do indeed believe that life is sacred, and we talk about that regularly. And many of you have been praying uh, much of your lives about the the overturn of Roe v. Wade and. Uh, and there's a lot of news about that, and it's seeming to head that direction. And, and at the same time, that's happening. Uh, and, and those of us who've kind of been thinking this through know that okay, as that happens, it goes back to the states, and our state is unapologetically uh, moving. It, like, just we're going to be a place where abortions are, are as available as possible. And so at the same time that's happening, there's news about an abortion clinic coming to Carbondale. And so um, I'm not going to talk at length about that today. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I did want to let you know that, that Chad and I have talked at length uh, on our podcast. Some of you have heard about our podcast. Some of you don't care about podcasts in general. You don't even know what they are. Um, if you don't know what they are, it's sort of like uh, on-demand radio, like talk radio. Like you could, you could just pull up whatever you want to listen to at any time, listen to it while you're mowing, driving, whatever. And so we have one here at The Journey called Fermented Faith where we just try to talk about everyday stuff of life and how does the gospel impact them and what's it do. And so the last couple of weeks, Chad and I have talked. Uh, we talked initially just as a follow-up from the wisdom sermon, and then the, the news had leaked about Roe v. Wade, so we talked a little bit about it then. And how do we balance, okay, legislation versus kingdom work, and how does that intersect and then last week, after the news about uh, the clinic coming to uh, Carbondale, we got on and talked even more practically and kind of on the ground, like what should our response be to that? So I want to point you to those as a resource to go deeper and further. You can get that. If you have our app, you can get that. If you uh, go to any of the podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, whatever, whatever you listen to them on, if you search Fermented Faith, you can find it there as well. If you need any help with that, uh, we'll be glad to help you. But I just want to point you to that. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I, I want you to know, um, while we're, we haven't given specific time in the service, we will continue to talk and, and pray and, and uh, look to the Lord as our ministry and, and response grows in that. But I just want to point you to, point you to that for now. So join me in praying, um, just in general, laying that before the Lord, um, and then we'll jump into Ecclesiastes. So God, I, I do just want to come and, and, and say... Um, that we are in the midst, we, we used to acknowledge that we're in the midst of a broken world and, and a divided country. Um, and yet we want to say thank you for, for um, answering this prayer. We, we, we pray that Roe v. Wade would indeed be overturned and that that would lead to the saving of lives, and we know that it will. But it also uh, doesn't mean the battle is over. And, and in our state in specific, we're going to have uh, particular challenges and, 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 and opportunities to minister. And so I just pray that you would use your church to uh, not add to divisive rhetoric, but instead to step in with light in a very dark place. Help us with that. Help us to be pro-life the way you are pro-life, fully, holistically, from, from, from birth to, cur- to grave, from conception, really, to grave, Lord. Help us to embody that, not just in our votes and in our voices, but in our lives. And so we, uh, we ask that you would bring um, the Supreme Court to the decision to overturn it, but then more than that, we ask that you would help your people to, uh, to step up and be a light and to uh, be a voice for life and that you would even maybe even use this, Lord, not only to save lives, but to bring revival and glory to yourself, that you would call your people to step up and to be the light and the salt in this dark place and all the things that, that, um, that follow into that. May we be willing to say yes and amen and may that be a witness that turns people to you. So we cry out 
We ask that you would move, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So back to Ecclesiastes. Graduates, congrats again. We had a big class this year. It's a lot of fun. Um, and so we're excited for you guys. I'm sure that you're tired of being asked. I hope you all made out well on your cards with lots of cash. I was joking yesterday. I was like, man, I think if I could graduate and or get married like once a month, I might not have to work. Um, you just make out well with that deal. So I hope that you did. I hope that you got lots of cash in there and, and you've been blessed by family members. I'm sure you're tired of smiling for pictures. I'm sure that you're tired of being asked what's next. Like, what are you going to do? What's your major? What are you, what are you planning? I know there's just a lot of questions that come with that. There's been a season of that, like the last two years. If you had, Some of y'all just knew from like kindergarten, right? You just wanted to be that thing. Um, but, but others, many, it, it's, there's a lot of pressure around this, this decision. And, and and that's not all wrong, but I do think in our culture, we, we, um, we've come to identify one another, ourselves and one another, by what we do, haven't we? By our career, by our work. Like, you think about it, when you introduce yourself, you're tempted to say that, and if not, when you're getting to know somebody, that's one of the first things you want to know. Like, what, what is it that you do? And, and again, what you do is, is, is tied kind of subversively in our culture to who you are. And, and so there becomes this pressure ever since you're a little kid, like, okay, you got to decide what you want to be and then go be it, right? And that's, that's a lot of pressure for 16, 17, 18-year-olds to, to try to figure that out. And so um, I think Solomon has some, some really poignant language for you. We didn't plan this this way. That's just the, the sovereignty of God and expositional preaching that this fell today. But I think it's really a timely word for, for you graduates and, and really for all of us, but especially for for you all, I think uh, the book of Ecclesiastes will say later, hey, the younger you get this, the younger you come to these realizations, the more uh, it will serve you well and lead to, to blessing and flourishing in your life. And so today Solomon's going to talk about work, and, and he's going to get at that same issue, the, the angst that you've been feeling about deciding that, what you're going to do, and, and, and some of you are still feeling that and not sure if you made the right decision, and you might change majors. I mean, there's all of that, like that angst, it looked a little different for Solomon, but he has been there, done that. And to the point that he got to try it all, right? So you're on the front end, and your life, like, graduate, like you've been, you've been told, like, okay, finish this, and then you can do this, right? Fin get to this finish line, and then you can do this. And whether that's, okay, get out, you know, get, get through high school, and then you can go to college, or get through college, and then you, you know, can start your, your real-world job and life or whatever. And, and what that does, it just kind of, it makes you feel, or at least it did for me, it makes you feel like your life hasn't really began yet, and you're just kind of warming up or practicing, writing rough drafts, right? And then, you know, now that you're here, now the real stuff begins. And, and, and there's, that can be a lot of pressure, like, did I choose the right lane to, to drive in for my, my real life and, and all of that? And, and so Solomon is a man who set his mind to go, okay, what, not only what, it, what, what am I supposed to do, but what's good for man to do in general and he did um, experiment after experiment, and he tried uh, a lot of stuff. And we've looked at how he tried pleasure, he tried wisdom, um, and now he's, he's going to look and say, okay, what about work? And, and so today I want us to, to lean in and hear from him because uh, his, his, his big idea, his thesis, here's, there's, here's where we're going. Um, he, he wants us to know that you will not find ultimate meaning in your work. Even though you've kind of been shaped and formed to think that, like, you know, figure out what you want to be, who you've been called to be, like how you're wired up, and then go be that, and then, you know, or, or get that degree, and opportunities will be afforded to you. And I mean, there's just a lot of things, and again, it's not all wrong, but when you boil it down, Solomon says, you, you will not find ultimate meaning in your work. You won't. 
You'll be left unsatisfied. You'll be left with a thirst that is still not quenched. You'll be left frustrated and, and hateful. I, I don't know if you, like it starts out, I hated all of my toil, all my work. I, again, I, I joked early on, this is one of the only books in the Bible we can be pretty sure was written on a Monday morning, right? Like he's, he's, he's like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. He's, he's thinking about stepping back in and he's frustrated, right? And so he's going to look again back down at us and say, hey, I've been there, done that, and here's what, I've, here's what I've learned. It will not fulfill you, okay? So you won't find ultimate meaning in your work. However, it doesn't end there. In fact, this is one of the first passages in Ecclesiastes that's going to kind of turn positive at the end because it doesn't end there because when you find ultimate meaning in the grander scheme of God's story, now you have meaning and fulfillment and joy in your work no matter what you do, okay? So you won't find ultimate meaning in your work no matter what you do. Even if you're, even if you're on the news and, and you're, you know, you're making uh, Elon Musk look like a pauper in 20 years, you won't find ultimate meaning in that. Or if you flip burgers, push a broom for the next 25 years, you won't find that. But the good news is when you find your ultimate meaning in God and in your faith and in the bigger story of the scriptures, now you have meaning no matter what you do. Even if you're making Elon Musk look up like a popper, or if you're pushing a broom for 25 years, you can find meaning in those things. That's the story of the scripture, and, and Solomon's going to get right to the heart of that by taking us down the dark road of trying to find ultimate meaning and fulfillment in our work. And so let's look there with him, um, starting in verse 18 of chapter 2, Ecclesiastes. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who come after me. So he starts out saying, listen, I hated it. I hated my work. I hated all. And, and, and he says toil. He's going to say it several times. That word toil is not just talking about punching a clock and, and work in that traditional sense. It, it's whatever you spend your time, whatever your day, whatever your, your tasks are, whatever you busy yourself with, whatever you have to do. So it encompasses beyond vocation and into the home and into chores and all of that. It, it, it's, it is specifically kind of geared at what do you, what do you work and, and spend your time to do in order to gain possessions, right? What do you earn money with, but but it is it is all encompassing, and so this this goes beyond just um, the career deal. And and, and back to the, the the idea of identifying ourselves by our career, by what we do. We've done some real damage to one another in that, because there's a lot of times whenever you get asked that question, and because the 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 world doesn't hold your vocation up in high regard, you sort of have some shame around it. Right? And that can, that, can, that can come in a lot of different ways, but I see that a whole lot with stay-at-home moms. Right? Now listen, if you've ever done that work, you know that's no joke. You know that they, they work far harder than most of us do, you know, regardless of what our job is. But I see that a lot of times. The question is, because it's so you know, kind of core to how we relate to one another, what do you do? Do you work, oh, do you work outside the home? And you'll see moms kind of you know, have to kind of couch that in. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I did, but I, you know, I'm staying home with my kids, and I might go back. And I just want to say, just real quick, that, like the Bible takes that pressure off of you moms. Not only does it take that pressure off of you, it exalts you. I said a couple weeks ago, whenever Mother's Day was, like a mom is one of the most influential people in the world. They're shaping the next, they are shaping the world in a way that no one else speaks into and forms character and heart and, and worldview. Like moms are doing some of the most important work. So your momming does not need to be apologized for. It is not second rate. You, you, you've not laid down something greater in order to just care for these kids. No, no, you are doing 
some of the greatest works. So don't apologize for that. Just, just That's kind of a side note, but I think it's important when Solomon's talking about this, when, when God's word is talking about this, that is, like, that's a cultural issue that we have in our day and age that we need to let the Bible correct. So he's talking about work, whether it's changing diapers, cleaning the house, um, you know, punching the clock, sweeping the floors, selling houses, selling insurance, selling medicine, building roads, policing neighborhoods, whatever it is. All-encompassing in our work, and Solomon, and and like all of us, Solomon is feeling the Monday morning. I don't want to go. I, what's the point? And he gets real specific. He's like, I hated all my work because he, he's realizing I got to leave it to somebody who's going to come after me. Have you had that realization? Some of you worked really hard to build up a business, to build up a, uh, or, or just a really good department within your business, or you know, a really good uh, you know reputation and and, and whatever, and. And you have the reality that, oh, I'm just going to have to leave this to somebody else. It, can, it, can, it could sting, and it can, it can hurt, and it can bring in the question of, like, what's the point? And that's what Solomon goes. He goes, uh, I, the, I've got to see, I'm seeing that I'm going to leave it to a man who will come after me, verse, end of verse 18. And in verse 19, he goes, and who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Either way, he's going to be the master of all that I've toiled for and use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. He goes, what's the point? Vanity, if you're new, if you're just joining us, it's, it's the theme of the book. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really translated to mean, um, you know, just like a vapor or futile or fleeting. It, it, it seems like it should be able to, to be grabbed and pocketed and held onto, but it, it just kind of slips through your fingertips. Your Bible might translate it meaningless, I think. I think that leaves a little bit lacking because there is meaning. It's just not, it's, it's quickly fleeting and it goes away. But so he says, this is what I realized about my work. I got like, I'm working hard. I'm doing all this, but for what? For what? Because I'm going to have to leave it to somebody else. And maybe they'll be an idiot. Right? It's Tommy Boy. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's, I built up this whole deal and my son's an imbecile. Right? And, and you could even take that back to parenting because you're like, man, I've spent, some, like parents, man, I feel for y'all. I've not been there yet, but some of you are sending off your first kid. Some of you are sending off your last kid. And you spent 18 years now investing in, loving, forming, shaping, uh, you know, caring for these kiddos. And that has been your work. And now <laughs> you're sending them out. And, and you're in some ways kind of leaving them for for somebody else, right? You're not leaving the position, but it changes a whole lot, right? You're kind of leaving them for somebody else. Somebody else is going to teach them now. Somebody else is going to use them at work now. They're going to marry somebody else, and you don't know if they're going to be wise or if they're going to be a fool, right? You're, they're going to marry. You don't know if your your kid, your in-laws are going to be idiots or not. Like you don't know what kind of people you're turning over your precious investments to. You hope they pick a wise person, but you don't know, right? There's this. There's this. And, and beyond that, you don't even know yet if they're a fool or not. That's still to be determined. So there's a lot of tension right here. And, there's a lot of pre- and, and so Solomon's feeling that, and he's saying, what, what's the point? And maybe some of you are even feeling that with parenting, like, oh, I've done all this work, and now what if they walk away from the Lord? What if they, what if they uh, throw their life away? What if they end up, in, like, there's a, there's a lot of, of tension and angst that comes when we realize we can't control stuff, isn't there? And Solomon's talking about his career and you know, his work, but man, this applies just all throughout the stuff we spend our life on. And so he's going, I, man, I, I don't want to leave it to somebody else. I, 
I, I, I remember kind of my thing at Aldi began to be when I was there, I, I would kind of get sent to fix some, some stores that weren't doing real well. And I really liked that. I really liked turning them around. Uh, I got to do it a couple different times at one store. And, and, but the, and, and this, because this manager would always go out on long-term surgery stuff. And so I'd go in for three or four months and man, we'd have that thing running good. It was awesome. And employee, morale was high and numbers were good. And then I'd have to turn it back over to that guy. And he'd ruin it every time. And then he'd go out for another surgery, and I'd come over and do it again. And, and then I spent a couple years at my, my store in Harrisburg, and, man, that store hadn't hit numbers in a long time, and we had a really good stretch of two years. And I remember whenever I was handing it off, spent about a week or two with the, with the guy they were promoting to take my spot, and, and I had this, uh, this uh, young girl that I was training to be a shift manager, and so she'd been learning a lot of our systems and stuff, and so I've been teaching her. And then she come, the, the new guy comes in, and as I'm handing things over in the last few days, she comes to me, she goes, hey, you said to do it this way, but he's saying, he's saying, no, we're going to do it this way. And I was like, it's his store now, right? Like, that's wrong. It's going to go badly for him. But I told him, he's clearly not listening, so it's his store now. And it was a little hard, right? It's a little hard to leave it and, and know, okay, they're going to have some rough spots, right? So that, that's, that's kind of lighthearted. But on a big picture, we feel this, don't we? We feel this like, what's the point? What's the point? And so Solomon goes on to say, verse 20, So I turned and about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. I mean, you can't quit, right? you got to pay bills, right? So some of you have been here to this pressure point, and you've gone, I mean, yeah, I hate it, but i still got to work. i still got to pay the bills. i still got to do so. He just turns over to despair. He, he's no longer trying to get joy out of it. He's no longer hoping it'll get better. He's no longer hoping he's going to make a difference. He just turns it, goes, okay. Despair it is. Frustration it is. Over all the toils of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge, verse 21, and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. He's just feeling that, man. I'm going to do all this, and then for what? I'm going to leave it to somebody else. They didn't earn this. This is the, this is the tension of so, so much of our political issues in our day. Like, I don't know, work for somebody else that didn't work to enjoy. Like, like he's feeling this, this tension. He's, for what? Just, he goes, it's vanity and it's evil. It's dark. It's terrible. It's not how it should be. And, he, and he's not wrong. It's not how it should be. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But, but he's, he's, actually, he, he's actually beginning, a lot of Ecclesiastes is beginning to agree with God, but taking the really long, dark, hard road to get there. Okay? Because God lays it out in the, in the first place. This is how life's going to go well. But Solomon, like us, stubborn and hard-headed and has to try it himself. And so he's taking the long route. And the more frustrated he gets, the more God's nodding and saying, yeah, I know. I know, keep coming, keep coming, you'll get there, I know, right? So God is, is not surprised by this, he's, he's, he's letting Solomon take this path, he knows that Solomon's going to write this book so that you and I can read it a few thousand years later and be blessed by it. So he, as, he's, as he's going along this, he's saying, <clears throat> this is also vanity and a great evil, it's not how it should be. Verse 22, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? What, what did I gain? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also 
vanity. So he goes, what do I gain? Nothing. Can't take it with you. And I'll leave it to some other guy. Might be a fool. And then he goes, and in the meantime, it's all really frustrating. He says, all my days are full of sorrow and, and work is a vexation. Like, it's frustrating. It never goes well. You ever start the week with a plan of what you're going to accomplish and you get to Friday afternoon and you're like, what in the world? My to-do list will look exactly the same next week because I didn't get any of this done, right? Because who knows what happens? Who, like, people don't do what you told them to do or things don't go the way that you thought that they would and you end up with, you know, a whole different agenda for that week. And, and he goes, it's all, it's a headache. And it's not even like you get to go to work and, and do your thing and then come home and enjoy life. He goes, I'm laying around sleepless. And, and even in the night, he says, I don't rest. Y'all been there? Work keeping you up? Can't sleep, insomnia, you just can't shut your mind off because of all of the stuff on your to-do list. He goes, man, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. So, again, <laughs> it's a little dark, but he's taking us there to, to show us, man, you think this path will lead you to fulfillment. Let me show you. I went there, and it doesn't. It leads you to a dark, dead end of depression, of depression. Thinking that you will get ultimate meaning, satisfaction, and fulfillment out of your work will lead you to depression, frustration, and despair. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, as I said, this actually does take a turn and, 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 and kind of actually one of the first times we're going to see some positive um, uh, rhetoric from Solomon here. So what, he's, he's actually going to begin to talk about God and begin to put this idea of work into its greater context. And, and that's so important for us. If we're going to understand work and our vocation and what we, what we spend so much of our time doing, even as, as we were reading this, uh, as Amanda was reading this, Riley leaned over, she was like, that's, that's a lot of toil. Like, it just said the word a lot. Well, you work a lot, don't you? Like, you spend a lot of hours at work. And when you get home from work, there's more work to do. There's a yard to mow. There's diapers to, to you know, change. There's trash to take out. There's, there's floors to vacuum. There's houses to paint. And all, like, all of that stuff, like, th there's a lot of toiling that we do. So we need to be able to make sense of that if it's not going to crush us. Um, a lot of what I've learned about work in, in the book that I recommended on your app for a follow-up resource is from Tim Keller. I think he's done some great work of writing in our generation. He draws a lot from Martin Luther, who did a lot of thinking on this um, you know, a few hundred years ago during the Reformation. Um, but so I'd recommend him to you. And, and um, he, he tells the story of, of this. It's a strange story, but he says, imagine that you're setting out, you know, um, on, a, on a street bench, you know, and somebody runs up to you. You're in a city. Somebody runs up to you and says, hey, the name of a, the, the common wild duck, the Latin name for a common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Thanks. Right? Like, now what? You're left trying to make sense of that information. Like, what, why are you telling me this? Right? And what do you do? And he just walks away. And what do you do to try to make sense of that? Well, you try to fit it into a story, don't you? You try to go, well, maybe, maybe the guy's just a little crazy and he's off his meds. And I need to call somebody for him. Right? Or, or, or maybe, maybe he's a spy and he was setting up a you know, a, a drop zone, like a meet here, and that was like the password, and he's trying to tell me something about, you know, a foreign power in, in, in engaging or whatever. Or maybe he's, you know, plotting against our country, in which case maybe he needs to be killed. And you're trying, either one of those could make sense of what he just said to you, but it, 
The outcomes are very different, aren't they? Because if you decide he's a spy that needs to be killed and you have him killed and he was just a crazy guy off his meds, that was evil. But if you go the other way, then maybe you don't like, and the point is, we, we all strive to, to, to put the, our, our, our lives in context so that they will make sense. They need to be placed in the, in, the, in the realm of a greater story in order for them to make sense. And so as, as Solomon goes on here, he determines this in verse 24. He says, here's the deal. There's nothing better for a person to do, or there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, or this also I saw is from the hand of God. So he goes, I, I begin to look beyond, remember the other theme of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. It's all vanity under the sun. Solomon here for the first time takes his look beyond the sun, takes his look up to God and says, you know what? Maybe that's the missing piece. I'm trying to get meaning out of something that cannot in and of itself provide meaning. So maybe I need to look beyond that. I need something that transcends my career, my work life in order to make sense out of my work life. And so he goes, this I saw was from God. For apart from him, verse 25, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one whom it pleases, <coughs> sorry, for to the one whom <coughs> pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to the one who, <clears throat> only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving at the mint. That last verse is so profound. Here's what he's saying, and then we're going we're gonna to step back and try to unpack and, and um, explain a little bit more of what he's saying. But what he's saying is uh, the one who pleases him, the one who realizes that life is all about God, the one who surrenders his life over to God, to that one, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. What does he mean? The person who realizes, oh, life's about God, they actually get joy in their work. They get joy in their toil. They can enjoy this life. But to the, one, to the sinner, the one who hasn't figured that out, it's just gathering and collecting, gathering and collecting, gathering and collecting. What he's saying here is God is what gives purpose to our work. God is what gives us purpose to our work. And, and, and here's how, like, the other thing that, that Keller said, uh, Robin, a couple points from his talk on this was so helpful. He says that, that our faith in God gives us um, a, a ballast, an inner ballast um, that, that keeps us from being destroyed by our work. What he means by that is, is without this, this inner um, you know, anchor and, and um, a foundation by which it governs all that we do, work can end up destroying us. It can end up being consuming us, being our life. Uh, I think there's Dr. Dr. Martin Lord-Jones, who, who was an actual medical doctor that then uh, trans, uh, transferred into the ministry and did a lot of writing. And um, the commentary that I used the most on the Sermon on the Mount was from him. And he said this, he said, uh, about certain professions seem to be a little bit more dangerous in consuming us than others. And for him, in that day and age, it was, it was, it was doctors. And he had seen this. And he says, the majority of doctors, you could, you could write on their headstone saying, born a man, died a doctor meaning there's this transformation that takes place that that becomes their identity. And our faith gives us a ballast that keeps us from going there. But it also gives us this inner purpose that keeps us from being bored with our work. And, and here's how. Here's the story. Okay, in order for our work to make sense, we need to, to have it in the greater story of the Scripture, which is kind of loosely defined in, in four big ideas of creation, fall, 
redemption and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Seeing that that is what's happening in the big picture will give us meaning and purpose on the Monday morning when we're not sure whether our work matters or not. Okay, so let's look just quickly at, at that big idea. I want to walk you through sort of a progression, big overarching um, theme in Scripture. First is that creation. So as you look at creation, you probably know the story that, that God made uh, this world, and he made it what? Good. If you know the story in Genesis 1, God makes stuff, and he says it's good. Next day, he makes some more stuff, he says it's good. Next day, he makes some more stuff and says it's good. And it's this repeated theme in the Hebrew to emphasize this point that God made his creation good. But what you may not know is that, and and then it went bad in Genesis 3. You probably know that. That's a very common part of the gospel presentation. God made the world good, sin is what made it bad, and then everything got hard and frustrating after that. What you may not know, though, is that work was given on the on the good side of the fall. Like before the fall, God, was, God actually gave us work. God, um, work is a part of God's good creation. We see this, Genesis 1.28. He tells Adam, um, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, right there. Fill the earth and subdue it. That idea of subduing is going to take what's wild, the, 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 the landscape and, and the world that God has made, and bring it under their rule and under their dominion. Have dominion over the fish and over the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So from the beginning, work has been a part of God's good creation. Okay? And uh, that's helpful for us to remember. Uh, like it, I think sometimes we just think, oh, yeah, I mean, work is hard because we know that about the curse and the fall, which we'll get to in just a minute. And sometimes we know, okay, work is hard because of the fall and the, and the specific curse that, that God gave Adam. And so, man, work just stinks. And, 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 we, and we sort of tie this idea of frustration and, and difficulty to work itself. But in reality, work itself is something given by God in the good part of creation, in, in prior to things going awry. It wasn't like, I think sometimes we just think, man, in the Garden of Eden, that must have been awesome. It's like beach vacation all the time. Like, it's tropical deal. We're just sitting in chairs. The angels are bringing us more tropical Mai Tais, and, you know, and they're just taking care of all the chores. Right? Nobody had to vacuum because the angel had that and whatever. And then, and then we screw it up, and God's like, you know what? Off your butt. you got to do something around here. right? But that's not how it worked. We were working alongside God and with God for his purposes prior to the fall. Okay, so we need to know that. The second part, though, is the fall, and it does uh, have an important um, defining aspect to making sense of our work because this is where it does get frustrating and it does get hard. After the fall of man, after they sin and, and they, they say, you know what, God must be holding out on me. He, he said, if I eat of that, then I'll, I'll know. You know. Satan gets in there and twists God's word and they believe, okay, God's holding out on me, so I, I won't really be happy until I reach for that fruit. And they reach for that fruit and the wheels come off. And part of those wheels coming off is God laying out what life is going to be like for them now. And in Genesis chapter 3, he says this to Adam, in verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed now is the ground because of you. Before, it was all a blessing. He says, take all that I've given you and enjoy it. Fill it, subdue it, right? Enjoy it, cultivate. Right? We were made in God's image and God himself is a creator and a cultivator. So he says, go, go and do that work. That's how we were set up. But now, after the fall, he says, now it's not just going to be blessings to enjoy. It's going to be hard work. It's going to work against you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it 
all the days of your life. So now it's not just going to be uh, going and enjoying you know, what you get to pick from those trees and from the plants in the ground. It's going to work against you. Thorns and thistles it's going to bring forth. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that's when work got hard and frustrating. God had for us a good life that he created. And a part of that good life was us having work to do. You, you picture God's plan for creation, and it was for his image bearers to rule on the earth in his place, like to be his kings and queens that, that rule over this earth. And he had a work to do. He wanted to, to cultivate it and form the whole earth into a place that was full of his glory. And we were going to work and partner with him. But when we decided to work for our own good, when we decided to shift that, and no longer for his glory, but for our own, it fractured the whole deal. And now God said, you're not going to get the enjoyment and the blessing out of life and out of work specifically that you used to. It's going to be hard. You're going to sweat. You're going to be frustrated. It's going to bring you to tears. It's going to, it's going to keep you awake at night. This is when this came into place. So creation was good. The fall made it frustrating. The fall made it hard. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And what does he do for the first 30 years of his life? He works. What does he do? Does he set up an office and just kick his feet up and tell everybody what to do? No, he's, he's a blue-collar carpenter. Like, he works. He builds things. He, he, he carries this image of God as a creator and a cultivator into this really specific way of coming to earth and actually building stuff. Learning the trade of carpentry from his his earthly father, Joseph, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to, to study, and we won't spend a ton, a ton of time on it today, but Jesus comes as a laborer, as a worker. But he comes with a specific work to do. At age 30, that shifts, his work shifts now to bringing in the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes, and, and he comes to do a particular work. Romans 8, we'll look at it in just a minute, but it paints this idea that ever since the fall, the, the, the whole creation, not just people, We've been groaning and longing for something. We've been noticing, man, this is evil. It's not how it should be. We've been noticing that. But more than that, even the world have been, has been groaning and longing for the fulfillment of God's promises, for God to do the rest of what he said he was going to do. And Jesus comes to, to do that. Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. Right? He, he, be, he comes in to bring redemption into our lives of futility. He brings redemption into our lives of frustration, and what's the point? Jesus comes in and says, I'm the point. I'm the point. Come and serve me, and I'm going to call some of you to serve me in ministry, but all of you are going to serve me as you do your vocations throughout the world. It's this really beautiful thing. As you look at the Scripture, there's a few different times. We saw it in the Sermon on the Mount. You see it in a few Psalms where, where God is talking about feeding all of his creation through the creation. So he says, I care about the little sparrows, and I make sure they have food. I care about the flowers. I make sure they have food and, and drink, and, and, I, and so therefore I care about you. But, and, and this is where Martin Luther does a lot of, of work thinking about what does it mean to honor God in our vocation. It means that we realize, oh, God is working through my work. What do I mean by that? God wants you to have what you need, okay? But most of you don't live on self-sustaining properties. Some of you do, and that'd be cool. I'd like to come see it if you do. Let me know. But what does it mean? Y'all got to go to the store and buy bread. It'll buy milk, right? You got to have water plumbed into your house. 
You need electricity. You need, to, you know, if you're going to stay warm, you're going to stay warm in the winter and cool in the summer. You need air conditioning and heat, right? You need a, a car to drive to work so that you can work your job and, and earn your money to come home and, you know, put food on the table for your family. And, and, all, and so you start to see all of these parts of life that you just take for granted is God providing for you. So think about, you know, where you shop for your groceries at. Somebody put that stuff on the shelf. I was talking to somebody else, maybe it was Chad, talking about, a, you know, a work at a job in college uh, at Walmart. Was that you? And stocking the, the paper towels. And, and he says he'd work all night when the, door, when, the, when the doors were closed. And he'd, you know, make this, he'd fill the shelves to make it look all beautiful. And he'd come back in the next night and it was just destroyed because everybody had, you know, just picked through and bought all their stuff. And that's frustrating. You know, that's vanity. What was the point? Well, the point was a lot of people got to buy the stuff they need that day because a worker put it out. And you know what else happened? Somebody swept that floor that night before you came and shopped. Swept it and mopped it. Do you think much about them? No. You don't notice them till they don't do it. Right? They don't do it, and now you're angry. And you, see, you start to see, oh, God has a plan for all of this world to keep operating, to provide for his people, and I get to play a role in that. Whatever your job is, you can fit it into that. Unless you're doing something like making pornography or, or stealing from people, your job, like that's outside of God's will. But beyond that, whatever you're doing, selling medicine, right, selling insurance, like, like you think about that, you're providing, an you're providing a way that people don't end up in a pinch whenever their loved ones die and they have to pay for funeral costs. Right? You're giving mortgages. You're, you're providing a way for people to pay for their home and have a huge sum of money when they don't have it at a low interest rate. Right? On and on you go. You've got coal miners providing energy. You've got uh, truck drivers providing all of our stuff. We all got a little more grateful for them in the last couple of years, didn't we? Right? And so you just, you just keep pressing down here and you realize, oh, God, like vocation is not just this add-on thing that we have to do. It's a part of God's good creation to provide for his world. It's beautiful, redemptive work that Jesus comes in and says, listen, uh, Colossians 3, Paul is unpacking um, some of the implications of the gospel to his people. And he says, hey, whatever you do, whatever your job is, work hard, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward or as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when you go to work, you may think you're, pl you're, you're clocking in to, to serve a particular company, whoever writes your paychecks. Paul says, you're actually serving the Lord. So work hard. Work hard. Work as though you are working unto the Lord because he's using you to advance his kingdom to take care of his people. Okay, so that, that's, that's the redemption piece. Jesus comes in to take futile, wandering sinners, rescue them out of their, their futility, and give them purpose that, that, that transcends this world. The redemption for work in the gospel is tied very closely to the next part, which is restoration, because we see that our work transcends our life here and now. And, and so as we look to the next part uh, of creation, fall, redemption, that's the, that's the season we're in where Jesus is making all things new. He's providing redemption and salvation to all who would call on his name. But then one day, there's going to come restoration, okay? And this is so important. We did a whole series on this a few years ago. It's so important for us to know that God's not going to, he's not, the point is not to get us off of this earth, right? And salvation, we have, sometimes we have this wrong idea of, 
of rapture mentality, and, and maybe the rapture fits into this, maybe it doesn't, but I think sometimes with the rapture teaching about the second coming, we have this idea that God's just trying to get us off this earth so he can do away with it and we'll all go live with him in heaven. But the reality is that he's coming to fix this earth, and he, he's going to he's gonna burn it, but it's in, a, it's in a refining fire type of way. And what he burns away will be all the things that won't be a part of his kingdom. And so it'll be in that type of sense that all that won't last into eternity will be burned away. But then he's coming and bringing heaven down with him here. So he's not wadding this earth up and throwing it away. He's bringing heaven down here. That will be our final dwelling place. God will be here. That's what Revelation said. The dwelling place of God is now with man. He brings the the city of heaven down to earth gets rid of all that is evil, and we live with him forever in the new creation. It's restored. It's, it's redeemed fully in the way that it's supposed to be. What does that mean? That means our work isn't for naught. That, that part of that process, yes, he'll be burning away the, the, the sin and darkness, but at the, at the same time, what's left when that's all gone away, if you think of a, of a stone or of a, of a precious metal, a gold or a, or a diamond or something like that being covered in um, all of the gunk of the earth, and, and, and they got to burn all that, that, uh, that stuff away. What's left is the beauty that was meant to be there. And so part of him burning away what's evil is also going to be breathing a breath of culmination on all that we've labored to. What does that mean? Okay, some of you worked in the medicine, or the field of medicine, helping people experience healing, helping people have a healthier life. When Jesus comes back, He's going to breathe all that into culmination. We'll all be fully healthy forever. And you're going to get to see your work go, oh man, what I've been working toward, Jesus just finished it. And you're going to feel a part of that. Whether you sold the medicine, whether you administered it, whether you, right, whatever you did, like you're going to feel a part of that, right? Uh, Some of you labored in building trades. How many of y'all have a family member who's worked in building trades and you don't like driving with them because everywhere you go, they tell you about everything they've worked on. Y'all, you know somebody like that, right? You're driving around and like, oh, yep, I worked on that back in the 90s. I built, <laughs> I built that courthouse. Sorry, Nick, I'm not trying to dog on you, but it's just, it's, you, know, like, you know people like that. You're like, oh, I did this, I did that. Well, well here, here's the deal. We're all going to kind of be like that in heaven. We're going to be able to see with our own eyes, even if our work is more subtle and subversive, we're not sure. We're going to be able to see the culmination of that in heaven. We're all going to be going, hey, I, I worked on that. You know that person that's here? I shared the gospel with them. I prayed for them. You, you see, there's going to be actual buildings and structures and, and beauty in heaven and art. And you're going to go, man, I, I labored to that end. I, I worked on that. And we're all going to rejoice that what we've been spending our lives on, this toil, gets redeemed and restored. Romans 8, I referenced it earlier, but it says this in verse 20 and 22. For the creation was subjected to futility. That was in Genesis 3. That's the fall. It was subjected to futility. It wasn't made in futility. It was subjected in futility. Not willingly, it says, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What does that mean? That we're going to be restored back. This world, this earth, will be restored back to how he meant for it to be back in Genesis 1 and 2. To the glory of of the children of God. God made this world for us to to dwell in and to rule over and to enjoy. So this point comes later in the book of Ecclesiastes, but there's a side note here. Your bucket list doesn't need to have pressure on you because if you don't get to do it here and now, you'll get to do it in the new heaven, the new earth. These things aren't going away. 
It's awesome. It's awesome to think about. And so he says, for we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And I think I um, meant to, to add in verse 23 of that as well, where he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the, first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So this, this idea that the world has been waiting for Jesus to come back and to bring all of his work to fruition. So that's the story. And that helps us make sense of this job that we've been given. That helps us make sense of why we work, why do we toil. So, again, borrowing from Keller to kind of wrap it up. Our work matters to God. It matters. What you do matters. He cares about it. It's not an empty spending of your time. He cares about it. And then along with that, God matters to your work. How you do your work matters to God. Martin Luther goes on to say, like, how do I, how do, how do I be a Christian in all of my work? Like, it's easy to see, like, how I'm a Christian in my work. I get to labor for the Lord uh, in preaching his word. That's, that's an easy dot to connect. But I think the example he used is, is making shoes. If I'm a shoemaker, how, I, how do I glorify God in making shoes? How am I a Christian shoemaker? And his, his, here's what he says. You make really, really, really good shoes. That's how you glorify God in your work. Do it well. Be a good employee. Have integrity. Create, cultivate, build, bless. Yes, all of that glorifies God. So our work matters to God, and God matters to our work. So I want to end just coming back to, I mentioned it earlier, but again, this is what helps us not be destroyed by our work. Because if we don't have this anchoring of faith and realizing, oh, what I'm actually made for is something that transcends this world. And whether I get it done or not, God's going to get it done at the end. That keeps us from being destroyed by our work. That keeps us from being so consumed by our work and our identity and all that we have to get done. Because you know what? I can rest. There's a parallel here that we don't, the text doesn't lead us to talk about. But there's a reason that God rested on the third day. God made us. He's a creator and a cultivator, but he's also a rester. And he made us to rest just like him. And that idea of resting is to shut our minds down and go, okay, I know there's a lot left to do, but I'm not God and i got to leave it to him while I close my eyes. Okay, you carry that point on out. That's what allows us to work in a healthy manner without being consumed about, will I accomplish enough? Will I earn enough? Will I save enough? Will I leave my kids enough? Will I get enough to be recognized? Or Fill in the blank. Whatever drives you and keeps you awake, this sets you free from that because the gospel says you don't have to. Your purpose, your identity is in me. Now you get to go to work and bring glory to me. And, and whatever you get done, we're just going to smile about it together because I'll finish it in the end. That's good news. And, and it also gives us a purpose, as I said earlier, connecting all the dots. It gives us a purpose without which we, our work could end up boring us to death. But if you realize, oh, God is blessing other people through the work I'm doing. Maybe I forget as I sweep the floor of that store. Or maybe I forget as I'm painting you know, walls or painting people's houses. It doesn't feel like it really matters or I'm mowing people's yards, but, but it does. It does matter. And it matters to God. And that keeps you from getting crushed by the boredom of that. So this is the good news of the gospel as it's applied to our work, to our toil. Some of y'all need to, 
not just nod and go, okay, that's good. You need to let that sink down deep and actually loosen some of the strongholds that are on your heart that are there by the pursuit of possessions and acknowledgement and whatever else kind of drives you to just never let it go. Some of you have families who are begging you to be present with them. Some of you have families who are just begging you to come, out, come home. Come home out of the office. Others of you have families who are begging you, hey, when you're not in the office, put the phone down and be with us. Some of you have sleepless nights because you're so consumed with your work. Some of you have marriages that have been destroyed because of your work. The gospel is inviting you to let that go. Not that your work doesn't matter, but it ain't ultimate. So stop trying to live like it's ultimate. The gospel frees us, as Solomon said, to the one who pleases God. God gives him the ability to have knowledge and joy and enjoy life. That's what he says in verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. That, uh, some of you will have a footnote about finding enjoyment. And it says to make his soul see good. Like That's what God wants for you in your work is for you to, to be able to eat right, and drink. That's, that's why you go to work. But then to also just enjoy it, to find good to, to take your soul to a place that you could see the good in your work and actually enjoy it. Stop trying to get something out of your work and instead receive the work itself as a gift from God. You see the difference there? If you're trying to get something out of, out of your work that will satisfy your soul, it'll crush you. But if you see your work as something that's gifted to you by God, now you can enjoy it. You can enjoy it. Are there still going to be hard weeks where you got to pull 70, 80 hours? Yeah, probably. But if, if that's a regular thing for you, you need to examine your heart and let the gospel speak in and set you free from that. It might need, mean you need to get a different job. It might mean you need to earn less so that you can be more. It might mean you need to earn, earn less so that you can be present more. Because again, you can't take it with you. That's the real vanity that Solomon's pointing out is working to get stuff, it's vain. But working to enjoy the work that your hand is laid to, that can be really good, he says. You get to enjoy that. You don't have to apologize for doing a hard day's work, sitting down and eating a good meal, drinking a nice drink, and going, man, it's just, it just feels good to do what I did today. It feels good to be a part of God's creation. Like that, that's what the gospel can lead you to. Even though it, it may all be falling down around you, your boss may hate you, and, and, and your people may be fools, right, that are working for you, but you, the gospel can allow you to rest and rejoice even in the midst of that. Even in the midst of that. Let's pray. God, we need um, your help as always to take this from our, our head and our ears and down into our hearts. So I pray your spirit would do that work today. Stir in us as you would, would, would lead us to be responsive. Uh, be with these graduates, Lord. May the words of Solomon sink deep into their soul and, and, and set them up for a healthy pursuit of vocation and work in your kingdom. We ask these things in your name. Amen.